that's basically what I want to do with it is like, if you're listening and you're feeling like crap and you feel like I was on top of the world, now what happened? You have this to just kind of lift you up and make you feel less alone and help you pull the shades up, get out, put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. For our next podcast, I'd like to challenge the listeners of this show to find a fault in my next guest, Matt Del Negro. I say this because you're just not going to be able to. I might also be partial because I've had the good fortune of knowing Matt for 30 plus years. We went to high school together and also worked together at Turtle Bay in New York City back in the day. Throughout all these years, Matt has been someone that epitomizes, in my humble opinion, what it means to be that all-American guy. He's also, as genuine and sincere as they come, intelligent, always positive to be around, and his ability to reflect is a unique emotional intelligence. Furthermore, he's hardworking and determined, something you'll learn that attributed to his success. Along with his laundry list of superlatives, I shouldn't leave out his acting accomplishments. Having been in hit shows and movies such as The Sopranos, Scandal, Law and Order, CSI, Wind River, Goliath, and who knows what else by the time that you're hearing this. He also happens to be a fellow podcaster and host of one of my favorite podcasts, 10,000 Knows. During our conversation, we delve into finding motivation within yourself, the bumpy road to success, good habits, details of his podcasts, and finally how he made 10,000 no's into something positive. I hope you have as much fun being a fly on the wall during our conversation as we did recording it. As an FYI, there's some background noise as we recorded poolside at a famous Hollywood hotel. It was just too nice of a day to be inside. So without further ado, please kick back and listen to my conversation with Matt Del Negro. So you've been here before. I have been here before. Yes. What brought you here? When I first moved to LA, we came to this place, to this pool. There was a- Roosevelt Hotel? Roosevelt Hotel. I believe this is called Teddy's, although Teddy's may be the bar in there. I think this is Teddy's right here. near the. One of the bars here at the hotel is called Teddy's. Anyway, you got the, the pool here. This is like all these palm trees. This is quintessential <sighs> Hollywood. It's yeah. crazy. And then we had the premiere for Hot Pursuit, the movie I did, the comedy a couple of years ago with Reese Witherspoon. Sofia Vergara was at the, the Man's Chinese Theater, which uh, is across yeah, the Yeah, right across. That's a big... And we came here for the after party. So. Yeah, this place, I've got to get the history behind this but yesterday they were scoping this out they're going to be doing a huge commercial for la and it's going to be filmed here. yeah it's one of those iconic spots if you start to look like now that you're here you'll see it in yeah. you know i can't think of anything offhand but i feel like i've seen it in films and you, know, you see it in commercials yeah. and I, I gotta show you some of the pictures they have of like steve mcqueen and yeah. just like a lot of the historic actors anyhow sitting with me is a good friend a family friend a longtime friend mr matthew del negro we go back to the days of john jay the days of westchester and not only did we do that but as life uh, after college we reconnected 
at Turtle Bay yeah. back in the day when you were slinging drinks and even out. A mixologist. In, yes, you were a mixologist. That sounds much better. Uh, and then even out. <laughs> I the wasn't really. It was really more of a volume place. It was a lot, a lot of tap beer, a lot of gin and tonics and that oh, kind of thing. Wow. And then you did it out in the Hamptons also. We did had it in the Hamptons. Out, yeah. Out. Turtle Bay used quag. Yeah. Remind me when you decided to leave the world of I guess leave New York. What was it that prompted leave you? Leave the go? world of bartending yeah, or leave the, the world of New York? Well, actually, it's a there's a great lesson in that when you say leave the world. So I had been bartending. I moved to New York City January 1st of 95 and waited tables, bartended. You know, I was working at California Pizza Kitchen. Before that, <laughs> I was right. a, I was running food at Virgil's Barbecue uh, oh, yeah. off of Times Square. I worked at Blackfin across the street from Turtle Bay, where Turtle Bay eventually opened up. So it was like living four lives in one. You know, I was in acting class. I was going through backstage, sending out my picture and resume. It was like being your own agent, really, for jobs that were not paying you in black box theater. And then once in a while, you'd get a legitimate off-Broadway show. That wasn't until several years in. Student films, all that kind of thing. And then I did that film that we were talking about earlier, The North End in Boston, which ended up being really a great break, but that was originally out of backstage. And then the big break was in the end of 2001, I got The Sopranos, the fourth season of The Sopranos. I had a nice role there and that kind of put me on the map in some way and changed the game. So you asked, when did I leave bartending? The interesting thing about that question is that after I did The Sopranos, I left bartending, came out here for pilot season, basically was I thought like, oh, I'm on The Sopranos. It went well. <laughs> yeah, and people yeah. recognized me in the subway. And this is going to finally be that game changer. Came out here and people were excited to meet me. I had meetings all around town and everything. And it was four months and I went back home with nothing. I had a couple of close calls, nothing. Tail between the legs, back to New York and going, oh crap, what am I doing? Went back behind the stick for mm. another Really another year and a half, two years. That's why my podcast for people that don't know it is 10,000 knows. It's all about the Rejection. rejections that you have to overcome and the you know adversity you have to overcome to get to where you're going. And that's one of the things. It's like, it seems like that was a huge break. You got to the mountain. And then there was the back step. And then luckily, uh, a few years after that, I was back out in LA and got the West Wing, which is what moved me out here. And then we've been out here ever since. And then, knock on wood, that's what I've done for money ever since. And that was, I don't know, 15 years ago. Wow. Where does this fortitude, this internal drive come from? I think some of it is just in the DNA and uh, learned behavior from my parents, my grandparents, coaches, John Jay coaches. Mm -hmm. I like to shout yeah. out John <laughs> Hurley, Coach Capalbo, <laughs> Walt Peebs, may rest in peace, oh. you know. Bob Keir, you know, all these guys yeah. that just instilled these lessons. And really, like I think about my grandparents, Italian immigrants who came here and always worked their asses off. And I feel like I've always had a pretty strong drive. I've always felt like pursuing something was not a problem. So how did you, though, it must have been so difficult. You would go to this great school. You go to BC. You played lacrosse there? I played lacrosse there, yeah. yeah. You played yeah. lacrosse. You're very bright, very well-liked. You're surrounded by a lot of our friends who did, most of them went to, or a lot of them, significant portion of them, not just from John Jay, but also people in New York City that are working on Wall Street. They're making good money. 
you know you're brighter than them. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> know, know you work harder. You know you work harder than them. That could have been kind of like an easy. You could have thrown in the towel. You had good connections. You know you could have gotten a, a probably a pretty good job. Yeah. How do you stay focused on the prize? Man, that was tough. By the way, just to, I want to come to that. But I remember bartending. I was probably about 28. This was pre-Sopranos, and I remember a couple of guys that were acquaintances from BC came in. They were working on Wall Street. Oh yeah, well. they, they weren't like good BC friends, guys, but they were acquaint- yeah. and they came in, and those guys were just slinging money around. And I'm like, I just remember pouring that Guinness, and just like, man what am I doing? Like, am I delusional here? Like I've been doing this for years at that point. I think I moved to the city. I was probably 22. It was probably five or six years at that point, something like that. And this, by the way, for those who are listening that are younger at the time when this was going on, you could still smoke in bars. Oh yeah. You remember that? I remember when they, when they came out with that law, I thought they were going to put the bars out of business. I was actually mad. Even though I was getting secondhand smoke, I was mad because that was my livelihood. I thought nobody's going to come to the bars. And it just turned out that everybody would go freeze outside to smoke. And that was like its own little thing now. And then we got to end the night not having our clothes stink like smoke. But to answer you, like, where did that come from? I think I really had one of those moments where, are you familiar with Joseph Campbell? No. He's kind of the mythologist, or he studied myth and studied story, and a lot of people say that Star Wars is based off of Joseph Campbell's myth. Uh, Someone I should know. He's all about the hero's journey and getting the call, and the gist of it is like if you look at a film and you break down film structure, any story structure really, the setup, it will kind of give you what's going on with the protagonist's life, and it's if they keep on this track forever, they're just going to be ground down into a numb, <laughs> eventually uh, a numb death. Something and to look then, forward to. <laughs> and then usually somewhere about 15 minutes in, maybe a little bit less, there's some kind of a call or some kind of a catalyst. And it's this call to the hero of the story or the protagonist. And then there's a debate of whether or not they're going to take that call. And then if they do, which they do because it became a movie, they jump into this upside down second act, which is like the reverse of their first act. And they have to kind of slay all these dragons and come face to face with their demons. They move on. And I feel like I had a little bit of that when I was in Italy in college. And it was between sophomore and junior year. And long story short, a breakup with a girl and kind of like I was flailing on my own in this foreign continent, totally out of my element, no lacrosse around, no Boston College around, no anything. And my sister had given me a journal before I went. And like, if you look at the first couple of entries, it's like, today I went to the piazza. And it was like <laughs> really boring. And I'm like trying to write and I didn't want to write. Well, and, that then changed. This, and then this thing <laughs> happened and it was my lifeline. I mean, literally, dude, I was, I didn't go to any of the classes I was supposed to be going to. I found this church and I'd go to the lawn and I would just like pour everything out into this journal for hours. And it was like a real midlife crisis at age 19 going on 20. And it really changed the trajectory of my life in a way, because in that first journal, I had things like, maybe I want to be a writer, maybe I want to be an actor. And I never thought that before. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. All right, I was just going to ask you. Okay. You know, yeah. So, I mean, my dad's a lawyer. My yeah. mom's a teacher, as yeah. you know. A good and so teacher. I didn't choose it. It chose me, is what I feel like. How often did you draw upon that journal? As years went on, I'm sorry. To I mean, no, you. no, no, you're not interrupting. I kept that journal. I have all those journals somewhere. Sometimes I'd go back and read them. Not so much. It was more like in the moment I needed to just puke it out. And 
it saved me. And then I would go through periods where it was like intermittent entries, but I drew on, if I go back and look at the writing in those journals, it's, you'll see recurring themes and you'll see a lot of this is talked about. It's like, where am I going? What's my purpose? What do I want to do? How do I want to impact the world in some way? And you'll see fits and starts. You'll see times when I'm really on fire and times when I'm like, what am I doing? Hmm. Which is what it's like, I think, for a lot of us. And then how do you deal with the ups and downs and the inconsistency of your industry? Whew, I mean, depends when you ask me sometimes. <laughs> sometimes yeah. I'm dealing with it really well. And I ultimately, I'm proud of my attitude. I think I stay pretty positive and dialed in. And I've developed habits and routines that have kind of kept me afloat. Give me one of those or two of those. One thing is just training, going to the gym, lifting weights, stuff like that. I've kind of Probably, I think I started that at John Jay with Capalbo in the weight room, like in eighth grade, going when my brother was, you know, he was three years ahead of me. So those guys were playing varsity and it was me and Joey Siska and Charles Sergliano <laughs> and these guys, we would go in the mornings and work out. I remember even back then, like going and lifting weights in the morning and people coming into school and having this feeling of like people would be rolling up and look like they were crusty from the <laughs> night before and having this feeling of like, I already yeah. did something this morning and like a sense of, I don't think I really knew it in the way that I know it now, but a sense of kind of pride and confidence of being like, I got up earlier and I did something. I got something accomplished already. And now I was telling you before we started rolling, I have all these friends through my podcast that are, that are kind of out of the fitness world, but they're really successful entrepreneurs now. And they always talk about like winning your morning. And I've been in this routine it's a little bit nuts in the last five months where I've been getting up really early, like 3.30 in the morning early and writing on my screenplay that I'm writing and then going to the gym at like 5.30 or 6, being back by 7 when the kids are waking up and then getting them to school man. with my wife. And you know why I do it though? People go, oh man, that's crazy. One, I try to get to bed earlier. I don't always succeed with that, but I've become a little bit addicted to it because it's really quiet at that time. If you make a rule like, I'm not going to check my email, I'm not going to check my texts, there's just no distractions and you actually get some pure work done, like deep work that otherwise, as we were saying, it's like, I feel like things are bombarding Fire hose. Oh, it seems like all day, every day, there's something- It's just not stopping. Happening. Uh, you know, whether <laughs> it's like a call from the school or like we got the call, you know, yeah. the alarm went off or whatever it might be. There's always something- Yeah that can knock you off course. And I've become really addicted to this little quiet, peaceful time in the morning, even though sometimes when you're going to get up, you're like, whew. once a, you get up, you feel good. That's a great habit. I, I always say, or I shouldn't say I, I stole this saying that I always say from FM Alexander. It says, we don't control our destiny or future. I forget exactly what it is, but we control our habits and our habits control our destiny and our future. So that's a great habit. To yeah, have. That's a yeah. really good habit to have. And I used to get up at like five and I've dropped off a little bit, but yeah. maybe you're Well, look, like, I had last week, we were away for Thanksgiving and we had the whole family there and going to bed late. And I still got up relatively early, but not that crazy. And it would have been dumb because I was going to bed later. And then it's like, yeah, then you're what am I out. doing this for? So there, with every one of those things, there's also, you have to negotiate with that, whatever is happening. I just saw something like last night or this morning, actually, of The Rock talking about how he's famous for 
he takes his iron jungle, I think he calls it, like his gym around uh -huh. the world with him. And he's like, oh, really? oh, legitimately looks like an actual gym, but I think it's a tent. And he's like, if his call time is seven, he's getting up at, I think, 4 a.m. He does a cardio session, then he takes a break, then he does a weight session. Him and Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, I think. Kevin is Hart is also, yeah. I heard him in an interview talk about, I didn't realize that about him, but he's got a pretty crazy routine. Yeah, he's an intense guy. Yeah. He's a marathon. I think he's a runner too, and he's... That's the funny thing. You look at a lot of actors or a comedian, Kevin Hart is both, and people go, oh, they're just having fun. They're just like messing around. And you're like, no, no, no. Idea. You scratch the surface on those guys. If they're on the top of their field, they are working their asses off. Yeah. There's no way around. And you see that and you go like, oh, he's a funny guy. Well, it takes a lot of work to be that funny guy on call. Yeah. Well, did you see with uh, Seinfeld, what he did after Seinfeld happened? I don't care if, if it made it to the movies or not, but a friend of mine was part of the show where he was going around practicing his comedy, getting oh, back yeah. into stand-up. Yeah. And he's not good. Like, he's not natural. I shouldn't say he's not good. He's Seinfeld, but he's not natural. So he gets booed, even now with his cachet. Yeah. So, yeah, to yeah. your point. Or I love that. I'm sure you've seen the picture where you see the glacier coming out of the water. You just see the tip. Yeah. Have you seen that? And then, you don't. no yeah. one sees all the stuff that's 95% below. 95% of that iceberg, yeah, yeah. is below the water. They don't water. see that, and that's that work. So you obviously have a good work ethic. You always have. That's served you. You're a great guy, and your intent, you wear yourself on your sleeve. So that's to your benefit. You've got the intelligence, but you're going Thank up you, against— you. You're, you're welcome, <laughs> but you're going up against a lot of the same people. How important have the relationships? that you've developed throughout the years? How have they served you? I would say that a lot of my work has come from recurring hires. I've worked with people on one show and then they brought me to another show or just telling someone the story. You talk about Hot Pursuit that I was saying uh, yeah. we had the premiere here. The way that came about was one of these stories that 999 times out of a thousand, it wouldn't have worked out the way it did. And I was kind of shocked that it worked out. But Kathy Sandrich was the casting director and I had known her. Really, I don't know if she'd ever cast me in anything, but we liked each other when I would go and audition for her. And she reached out and asked me if I could help her with a table read. They were doing like a Robert De Niro, Jennifer Aniston table read at CAA. And she said, I hate to do this to you, but would you mind reading the stage directions? And I was like, oof, I mean, this is a thankless job, you know, the, the stage directions. <laughs> but I'm like, absolutely, let's do it. She sent me the script. And because I've written as well, and I've had readings of some of my stuff, and I've done readings of other friends, independent films and everything, I've witnessed the person reading the stage directions just tank a reading, tank it, because that has to be the driving force, mm -hmm. right? So I was is like, it, is it because they don't take it serious or well, they just don't they understand don't think it? I think they're not prepared yeah. and they don't realize they're like, oh, I'm reading the stage directions. Why does everybody else get to read a cool part? And what you don't realize is in a reading, the stage directions in a way are the engine that gets that thing going. And that mm. gives it the pace, the energy and all that. So drums. I was like, all right. My whole thing was she asked me and I was like, I'm going to be in a room with De Niro. Sign me up. I want to watch this guy work at close range. Sign me up. So I'm like, I'm going to be there at De Niro. I'm going to be at Seattle. Better have your I, I game wanna, on. I want to do, yeah, I want to be prepared and do a good job. I was living in Santa Monica at the time. I remember going to like Starbucks and going through and saying like, what needs to be said? What doesn't need to be said? I was like, just taking it seriously. And she called maybe the night before and said, hey, I just want you to know that stage directions are important. I said, absolutely. I'm on it. 
we get there, the producers uh, were big producers and I see other actors that I know. And, and I had that thing of like, why are they getting to read that part? And I'm doing the stage <laughs> yeah. directions. I put that voice away. We do the reading. You're able to departmentalize like that? Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. I just okay. said, you know, this is what I'm doing. Just do well with your job. And, you know, I got to watch De Niro and Aniston and they were great together. We did the reading. I said goodbye. I drove home and on the way home, I get a call from Kathy and she says, I got to tell you, the producers said to me, who is that guy that did this? This sounds like a terrible story. No, to tell no, me, no. It sounds Bring like, it on. Was, they said, who is the guy that read the stage directions? It was wonderful. And I was like, seriously? Are you kidding me? And she's like, no, thank you so much. Totally hooked me up. And I was like, that's funny. Yeah. But I just, you know, I had done West Wing. I knew yeah. the rat-a-tat-tat kind of keeping pace and kind of got out of the way of the actors when they need to rip. And then she's like, I have something coming down the pipeline that you might be right for. And I thought like, great. That's not going to happen. You know, those never happen. It's always like you get all of that, but then the actual thing doesn't happen. Went back in for that. I was working on another show. I had a callback. I couldn't go in for the callback because I was working on a show. And by the time they came around to me being able to go in, that role that I was originally up for was cast. She had me go in anyway because she's like, you got to see this guy. They saw me. That role was already cast. And she said, just see him. They saw me and they said, oh, go look at this other role out there. And there were these other roles that they had guys that were way different than me. And I was like, well, that's cool, but it's never going to happen. I'm not right for this. Went back in there, went well. That was the role that I ended up getting, Detective Hauser in Hot Pursuit. And that was all, really, if you trace it back, that was from a relationship. And that was from kind of being prepared when it didn't really seem like it mattered that much. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the lucky stories. And I've got probably a thousand of them like that where I didn't get a job from it. But that was... There's a guy named Adam Robinson. He is one of the founders of, uh, I think it's Princeton Review. He's just brilliant. If you ever get a chance to listen to him, he's done, I think, Tim Ferriss before and forgot someone else. One of the most intelligent people I've ever heard. And he lives by like three philosophies. And I don't remember the two. <laughs> but here's the, the one I do remember is to, he leans into every moment and he takes every moment as if it's like something magical will happen. And that's how he looks at things. So he that's almost cool. like invites these things to happen to him. And it could be anything. It could be going to a Starbucks. He's yeah. Look into it is just what could come of it. It's a good thing to remember. And you know, it's funny doing these interviews is you sound so great in the interview, but it's like, when I see somebody speak, I have a couple of friends now, like I'm saying, these entrepreneurs that are just so impressive to me, not only as businessmen, but as humans. And when you start to be aware of these concepts and philosophies, you're also aware of when you're not doing them. And you know, for every one of those stories, how many times have I missed an opportunity or not even realized that I missed an opportunity because I was so dumb or so in my own head, in my own way, that an opportunity just went walking right by me. And I didn't even know that I missed it. You know, I think if anybody listening hears that, if you're really honest with yourself, the best among you, that happens maybe a fraction of what it happens to the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. But everybody, you have these moments where you let that. I tell people all the time, people always complain. They say, oh, that person's lucky or they knew someone or something. I say, no, luck is a residue of hard work. It's being aware. And in terms of knowing people, people don't just give somebody anything. They're not just going to give it to you. But it's because they trust you. So that trust is transferable. So you've earned that ability to know somebody. So when I hear someone complain about, oh, they knew someone, I say, you damn skippy they did. Yeah. You know, they were aware. They did do that. That's the thing. Yeah. People say, oh, they knew someone. They did it. But it's like, 
if you think about it, that person who is in the position to give out the job or whatever, they could know you, but they're not going to put themselves on the line for you if they don't think you're going to make them look good. I mean, they wouldn't give that responsibility to someone if they thought that that person was going to drop the ball. So yes, it would help to know people or people say, oh, so-and-so's doing great, but his parents were actors. It's like, sure, fine. There's also a ton of people whose parents are actors that are not doing well. You <laughs> yeah, know, it doesn't, yeah. it, that doesn't, or their parents are producers or whatever it might be. It helps. It certainly helps maybe give you more at bats mm -hmm. than someone who, you know, I came, I didn't really have any connections to anything, but someone who might have a lot of connections, they have maybe more of a shot in the beginning, but eventually it's like they had to be good to get that. Yeah. So you've got this really cool podcast. Tell us, for those who don't know it, get us up to speed on yeah. what it's about, what 10,000 knows means. Yeah. And I want to talk about the show for a Okay, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, as you know, because you have this and I've heard this and I'm a fan of it, I'm really passionate about it. I started this podcast really because of the plight of the actor is if you just are waiting to get hired, it can be <laughs> really annoying. You know, you're like waiting for someone else to tap you and you can do things to increase those chances. But also ultimately there are things that are out of your control. So ultimately I felt like I wanted to do something that I was more in control of. I was like, even if it's a tiny little fiefdom over here, I'm the king of this little fiefdom. And I'm going to choose who I'm going to sit down and talk with, and I'm going to choose when I'm going to do it and when I'm going to hit record. And I'm curious about people, and I'm curious about these kinds of conversations and picking people's brains on what makes them successful or how they view life, how they've viewed adversity, because that's what I'm always grappling with because of the stories like the Sopranos back into bartending story that I told before, which is how do you keep on track? So really I created... It's like I've created my own masterclass on how to overcome any setback. It's called 10,000 No's because my buddy's parents were out from Philadelphia like a long time ago. His dad asked me how it was going. I said, great. <laughs> I said, I've been speaking to some MFA programs in LA that are these kids that are about to graduate. And it's like what it's like to be a working actor. And I tell them, basically, you're told no for a living. And he said, how many no's have you heard? And I was like, hmm. kind of did the math. And I was like, I don't know, 10,000 no's. And we kind of laughed. And I just jokingly said like 10,000 no's, the Matthew Del Negro story. That'll be my bio. <laughs> and then like the word podcast was nowhere near my brain at that point. It was years later. And then when I finally was introduced to Mark Marin's podcast, I was like, oh, this is cool. And I realized I've had these conversations my whole life with really impressive people who, for one reason or another, have let me in and kind of shared a lot of intimate information with me because I think they trusted me because I'm really just curious. I'm not like trying to take someone's innermost feelings and like broadcast them. And so I basically gave myself some kind of format to pour this curiosity into. And I've been able to sit down with really, really interesting people, oh, yeah. entrepreneurs, athletes, actors, writers, producers, directors, cancer survivors, holistic healers, meditation teachers, CEOs of companies. In a what are the kinds of people that you like? To, I mean, wow, it's definitely an eclectic group of people. Do you have a certain criteria? Like how does somebody get on your show? I really do feel like everybody, if I went out right now on Hollywood Boulevard and I picked anybody off the sidewalk and brought them, sat them down you for an hour and a half, they've got a story. Yeah. Everybody has one. Yeah. Now, that being said, I have 
it started off with me just going, I knew some people that were, I thought, really impressive and would be really interesting. And I liked their worldview. I sat down with them and people ask me, how do you find guests? Up until now, it's been really organic. People that I know, then I'll interview someone and they'll go, oh, this was really fun. You know who you should interview? And they'll say like, so-and-so that I've never heard of. And then I'll have them. And then that will lead to something else. And now what's happened is because the show is catching on, I'm getting PR people calling in with their authors that they represent that have books coming out. I'm getting some people, just artists emailing directly to me and asking. And sometimes it's a bummer because someone will have a great story. And now I'm kind of at the point where it's gotten just I'm backlogged on interviews and there are things like, what's the story? Where am I in my head right now? Also, how does it help the growth of the podcast depending on who they have that their people are that will help because I want to grow it so there's more impact. How do you deal with like, so I can't even fathom. I just know what I got to deal with and I'm not dealing with a tenth of what you're dealing with. But how do you deal with the people that are reaching out to you? I mean, you've got to be getting this. Put me on your show or I need to be on your show or like. Well, people have been very like, respectful. You know what I've found is like. like so I just get no I'm respect. always, I mean, yeah. what's funny <laughs> is that I'm always like, how'd you hear about me? I had a guy, an actor in Australia reach out to me recently. He wasn't actually asking to be on the show, but he was just saying, I randomly found it and I asked him, how did you find it? He said, I Googled podcasts for actors and yours came up. And I was like, that's cool from Australia. He said, I went, I listened and then I binged a bunch of them. I just want to say thank you. This one particular solo episode I did, which ironically, those are the ones that I'm like, does anybody want to hear me just like monologuing <laughs> for like 20 or 30 minutes? And I, I was don't told, have I was told I was boring. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I've had this thing where I'm like, Every once in a while, I'll do that. And I felt weird about it. And then this guy was like, I had one that was like expanding beyond your comfort zone. And he's like, I listened to this and it really, actually a few people responded to that oh, and cool. told me specifically how it helped them. And I was like, that's so awesome. The coolest thing about this is that that's exactly what I wanted to do. I basically was like, if I were 22 again and I were starting this crazy business, what would I want? And I'm like, I'd want to hear this conversations because yeah. they would inspire me to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that's the gist of it. It's like, if you're either someone who has a dream or an instinct to do something that's a little off the beaten path or outside of what everybody expects of you, as it was for me, mm -hmm. being an actor was very much not what was expected. Or if they've already taken steps toward that, the way I have at times been down that path already, but then I get beaten down, like the Soprano story, going back to bartending. At that point, when I was knocked down, it would have been great to hear 10,000 no's and be like, oh man, that's when people lonely. It. Yeah. One of the things was from a business standpoint, early on, some people that I'm friends with said, I don't think what you're doing is smart because you're not being niche enough. You should just have actors stay in your lane. And my original answer, and this is still a debate and people listening might have an opinion. My original answer was, I don't want to just talk to actors. I want to talk to an athlete. I want to talk to an entrepreneur. My whole premise is that everybody, not just one section of society, everybody is dealing with the same things. And this entrepreneur over here is going to have a very similar take to this actor over here, to this writer over here, to this ballerina over here, to this, I had a behavioral scientist. To, everybody's human. That's my point. And what I eventually wanted to happen, and I feel like it's happening now, is that instead of people tuning in because 
so-and-so's on the show or so-and-so's on the show. They're tuning in for the show itself. They're tuning in for the premise of the show, the way that if you look at a hit TV show that is cast with relative unknowns, let's take Friday Night Lights, which I loved. You had Kyle Chandler and Connie Britton who were recognizable, but not huge stars prior to that. Then you had all those kids. I didn't know who any of them were. Hmm. They were amazing. They yeah. were well cast. And what do we tune in for? You tune in for the dysfunctional family. It wasn't about football. It was, I love football, but it wasn't about football. It was about this small town and it was about a marriage. That's what you tune in for. They didn't have to stunt cast it. Other shows that are failing will stunt cast and say, this week, tune in for a special episode with so-and-so. But the actual yeah. DNA of the show is what I wanted people to show up for. And that's what's happening now. So I'm really grateful. We'll rejoin our conversation in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast as well as our other episodes, please support us using Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash networkwise. Thanks for listening. And now let's rejoin the show. do any shows i hate to do this because i hate when people do this to me so i don't mind if you defer or do you have any episodes in particular that stand out to you it's so funny because i don't want to say like i love them all but i do yeah, everybody I, i've sat I down with. but let me try to think well we were just talking about someone that you're gonna have you just interviewed he'll be on this show yep steve sims yeah super interesting guy Talk about 10,000 no's. I interviewed him and I lost the first interview. Over oh. an hour of gold. And oh. we lost it and he was kind enough to come back. I had to kind of get him back and, and we got a great one after that. But that was heartbreaking. Luckily, we made out. He was great. There was this guy, Traver Boehm, who I found out 10 minutes in, grew up in Wilton, Connecticut, and went to Boston College. And I didn't know it prior. How I had, funny is that? I had been given him from... A previous guest said, you got to see this TED Talk and get this guy. And I saw the TED Talk. I really liked it. I had him in. He has an amazing story that's really kind of very extreme. And I got Jimmy Jam this yeah. week, who was Ooh. awesome. Like over two hours of just him just riffing about Prince and Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson. And it's really hard to tell you. I mean, I've had amazing women early on. I had Allison Levine, who has climbed the highest peak on every continent and was the captain of the first women's expedition of Mount Everest. And she's a best-selling author and she's an advisor to the army and like coach. Does this know, just humble the heck out of you oh, when you dude, get these people? It is, that's what I always, I kind of joke about it in the intros and the outros about like the downside of doing a podcast like this <laughs> is that I walk away from every conversation. Yeah feeling like a total slacker. Yeah. I mean, everybody is more impressive than the next person. And I'm just like, God, what have I done with my life? And that's you know? it. And like what people have dealt through, what they've uh, gone through. It's, yeah. just, it's just amazing. And, yeah. and how much they share. You know, you'd be surprised. Like, you know, you're being very open right now. And I'm always impressed. I had, with I had one that was, you talk about how do people get on the show? Sometimes it's that thing of like, someone says, oh, you need to see this guy or you need to hear this woman speak at the TED Talk. But there was one, I was back in New York. I brought my setup with me so I could do interviews if I needed to. And my sister-in-law was telling us about her friend who had cancer and been through 70 something rounds of chemo. Oh. And that he wrote these emails to his friends and family that were really funny and irreverent. And she started reading one from her phone. And I was like, 
who is that? He's a friend of yours? And she's like, yeah. I said, I want to interview him. I said, just put me on a text with him. She put me on a text with him and we went back and forth. He was really funny and he worked down near the seaport. And I just said, I'm going to come in. If you don't mind, I'd love to come to your office and interview you. And he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and like three years prior. And he had an amazing attitude, an amazing sense of humor and wit. And unfortunately, this past year, he passed away. And I didn't want to like talk about the episode again because I felt like, is that exploiting it in some way? And his wife reached out to me and said recently and said, I listened to Rob's episode. His name's Rob Whitaker. And she was like, thank you for doing that. At some point when the kids are ready, they'll have that. They'll have him talking. And I was like, that really made me feel good. And his nurses at Sloan Kettering, at one point I was teaching an acting class and I had someone in class that her friend was young, was diagnosed with cancer. And I was like, you got to send her this interview. I'm not saying it because it's mine, but saying it because this guy is Give awesome. Me, yeah. He's like, he did not do the precious thing. He's just like, yeah, this is what I got. And he's is funny and raw, but then he got underneath it and he got real. And it was just incredibly vulnerable and honest and human. That's what I'm aiming to do with this. When you do your shows, so they say, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know. They say, yeah, you really got to keep them to 37 to 43 minutes because that's the average commute time. And and I don't want to jade your answer, but for me, like that's when the conversation just gets started. And even myself, I've turned some off as well, but I love the long form. I like yeah. to really sit and spend the time. And I don't know if you have an opinion it's on a great, this. It's a great question. I don't have the right answer because I've kind of tortured myself over this. When I set out to do it, I mean, first of all, if you hear my first episode, it's literally, I didn't know what I was doing. I hit record and I riffed for 18 minutes of what I wanted it to be. I'm swearing, I'm throwing F-bombs down. It's very rough and raw. And then I just sent it to the editor. I said, that's episode one. So I think I've grown since then. But when I sat down, I said, I just want it to be fly on the wall, two people talking and we get to hear it for warts and all. And it's the anti-Instagram and it's like, you really get to know someone. And that led to conversations that were usually over an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, in some cases, two hours. Jimmy Jam was over two hours. And I was like, I'm not going to stop this guy. And then yeah. when I went to edit it, my editor was like, no, you don't want to edit it. It's good. And so my thought, and I had a little period when I, I was like, I'm going to get him in at like 45 minutes because, you know, yeah, I tried and, and here's, that. here's my thought. I don't have the answer. And someone way smarter than me, hopefully at some point will give me the answer. But I will say this, the metrics on my short episodes versus my longer ones, there's more downloads on the longer ones than the short ones, which goes oh, really? against, I'm surprised. Yeah. which goes against what you would think. Now, I don't know what that's about. I'm not sure like how specific, but apparently on Libsyn, which is the hosting site, it's pretty specific. So that's interesting. And the other thing is this, Jordan Peele, who made Get Out, he said, I made a movie that I wanted to see. And he's like, everybody told me you can't make a movie like this. I made a movie I wanted to see. And then he won the Academy Award. I look wait, at wait, this, which movie? The cat movie? Get Out. Is that Have the, you seen Get Out? No, but no, he's no, awesome. No. Jordan Peele. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. All right, I'll watch. Sorry, he made it about him. I'm not getting him. it wrong. Get no, out no. <laughs> and, and yeah, Jordan Peele. That's how I think of it with this is like, I go, what do I want to hear? But I do, I always throw it out there. I say, hey guys, let me know. This is the style of it. If you're loving it, tell me. If you hate it, tell me. I don't know that how much I'm going to change it or not change, but I want to serve people. So whatever's going to help people more. And I've had... I had one that was a two-hour conversation with this amazing woman from Wilton, Connecticut. Again, I just randomly was mm -hmm. connected to her. She's the CEO of Melissa and Doug, 
and the co-creator of Melissa and Doug. It's a huge toy company. Everybody with kids knows yeah, Melissa and course. Doug. She was amazing. And it was two hours, and it was at a time when I was deliberating about how long they should be. And I cut it into part one and part two. And I almost feel like it hurt those... Because someone's not going to tune I don't in know. for part it, two? I just or, feel like yeah. It, yeah, I cut it where I thought I should cut it. But I kind of feel like my approach at this point, and I may change this at a, a future date, is that it's like streaming. It's like binge watching. Amazon and Netflix give you the whole season, <laughs> yeah. right? And you do what you want with it. Some people want to watch it in one weekend. Some people want to watch it in one night. And some people want to watch it over a year. Yeah, That's what podcasts are like a little bit. I think about my tendencies and I've had some that I was really into. And then I'm like, man, I haven't listened to that in a long time, months sometimes. But if you ask me if I like it, I'm like, yeah, I love it. If you sent me one and it was, I'd go, oh yeah, definitely. I'll listen to that. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, my instinct is if you make it and it feels like it's working, as long as people are responding to it on a deep level, I think you've hit something. What, what kind of feedback are you getting? I mean, I've got my own perspective of it, but I I'm mean, curious I'm, to, what are they telling you? What do people like? People have liked that it's honest. It doesn't seem like it's, you know, it's not BS. Yeah, it's not like, staged. It's not staged at all. Sometimes maybe to a fault. They like the guests. They feel like... They point out the eclectic guests. They say, oh, I didn't know who this person was, or I didn't know what that, I never thought about the behavioral design guy. I never thought about him, what that even was, behavioral design, but that guy was fascinating. So they feel like I'm introducing them to new worlds that they like. So that's cool. And they're really feeling like this is what I've been trying to do. I stole this from a woman whose podcast I was on and who I've become friends with, where I do these takeaways at the end, because I'm like, you listen to the whole thing. I try to cue it up in the beginning with my take on who the person is. Good so idea. someone can kind of like decide if they want to bail before we get into it. Like I describe them a little bit, give a little bit of their accolades and then kind of like what I like about them. And then we go into it. So if someone's listening and they're like, eh, I don't want to hear that person, they'll bail. Yeah. And then at the end, I do this little kind of recap of like my three top takeaways. Although with Jimmy Jam, I did like 10. <laughs> and the idea is just, I don't want it to be just this thing where you listen, you're like, oh, that was cool. And then you forget about it and you never do anything. I want people to take it and I want them to implement these principles into their lives and have it affect them. And that's the feedback that I've gotten that's been really cool is when somebody says they did something. I had a woman, she was a Stanford grad. She was an engineering major. She ran track there and she responded to me like direct message on Instagram, which I didn't even know existed at the time. And I found it really lengthy, smart response. And I was like, wow. And I actually talked about her on one of the episodes. A little while later, she responded to that Melissa Bernstein episode and to one of the solo episodes. And she said, I was bawling, tearing, listening to Melissa Bernstein. And she related to her. And then she related to my story of quitting lacrosse. And she's like, I stopped this soul sucking job. And she like changed the trajectory of her life. So what I did, which is crazy about this day and age, I actually said to her, I said, thank you so much for this. And I was like, would you want to in some way be involved in this thing? Because I'm thinking about maybe like there should be a community Facebook group or something, but I don't have the time or the bandwidth or the skill set to want to do that. But would you want to lead the charge? So she's now working with, I have some interns that are kind of like helping out that are just, we're fans of the show. That's the thing. It's like people that it's were growing. just listening want to get involved. And that makes me think, okay, if someone's willing to like 
carry the torch along with me. I must be doing something that's like hitting on at least some small cross-section yeah, of society. What are people that are listening? What, what should they do when they hear your show besides like it, give it five stars? Is there right. anything? I mean, that's all I say is like, I try to say this in every episode. And I'm, actually, I think I have it built in now where it says that, all that stuff, share it, whatever. That's the main thing is like, if you like it and you feel like it's helped you in some way, please just tell someone about it. If you have a suggestion for a guest. I mean, whether or not they end up getting on the show, but just email info at 10,000nos.com. I'll say it's info at 10000nos.com and start a dialogue or post about it on social media, whatever. That's all. Where do you do most of your podcasts? Most of them, I have like a little home studio at my house, like off the garage. But I also go, like I interviewed Richard Schiff from the West Wing. And I went to his house because he's on like three shows at the moment. He's doing ballers. He's doing the good doctor. And I said, I'll come to you. So I went there and did it. Like Rob Whitaker, I said, I went to his place of work, but mostly it's there. And then if there's someone who's remote, we do it on Zoom, which is just like an interface online. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you do it when you're sitting across from somebody and they're talking and you've got 10 different questions that you want to ask them? Do you get sidetracked or how do you stay quiet? Like, how do you not interrupt them? Some people would venture to say, I don't stay quiet. My brother (laughs) among them. No, there are times in the beginning, honestly, the Kimmy Culp episode toward the beginning, she was amazing. I cringed when I heard it. I put it out there, luckily, before I listened back. Thank God, or I wouldn't have a podcast because I almost puked because I was like, this (laughs) is terrible. Well, I was just interrupting her and it was all out of exuberance and joy and really loving what she does. But I look back now and I'm like, I should have been a little more quiet. Is she the one that produced Gleason? Yeah, the documentary yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. That was good. I heard that. Yeah, no, no. She is amazing. I feel like I was so effusive in my praise of her and because I was so excited to have her yeah. and honored to have her. Now I've realized, oh, you put the accolades in the intro and then you start the interview a little bit later. So you're not like... Yeah. spending five minutes telling the person how great they are. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's nice, but it's like, not everybody needs to hear that all. It's just little stuff that I've learned along the way. But as we're going like in the moment, so here's what I do. I have kind of a general trajectory of where I want it to go. And then I have, I don't do a crazy amount of research. Some people I know already and the ones that I don't, I do enough that I can not miss big sections of their life or their work. I'm more interested in what's going to happen in the moment. So I'll have this arc and it's kind of like as an actor, if you're working, they call it like directing inside the scene. Like if you're directing something and you're also acting in it, you're almost like you have an eye on what's happening. Like you wouldn't do it on your own take, but if you're like, if you're off camera and you're directing someone and trying to get a performance out of them, you can kind of from within the scene, you're pulling stuff out. So I'll, it's a little bit like that. I'm sitting down and I have like a general arc of where it goes, which is kind of like where they came from, what they've been through and where they go and some of what their skill sets are and their special qualities. But if someone is going down a certain road that day and it's interesting, I'm going to follow them down that road because the other thing I believe as an actor is you do all your preparation and you show up to set, but between action and cut, if it's not alive, you got nothing. So I will try to do that with these conversations where it's not going to just go way off the rails, but I don't mind if somebody's taking me down. It's like, let's go explore that a little bit. And by the way, I love 
For example, Oprah has one called Super Soul Sundays, and it's great. And it's edited, it's produced, it's 35 minutes in and out. She's amazing. The guests are amazing. You get what you're going to get and you get out, right? I love that. That's not what I'm doing, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm going down a path. And sometimes it could get funny and sometimes it could get... I had you talk about Seinfeld. So this comedian, Gad Elmaleh, who I just did the Netflix comedy series with, it'll come out this April. He's a huge comedian. They call him the Seinfeld of France. Actually, Seinfeld in real life has like taken him under his wing. He's a <laughs> guest on our show in a couple of episodes as himself. And I interviewed Gad. It hasn't come out yet, but I did it at the Chateau Marmont. And we had, because of our, we had just done a season of television together. We had a really easy flow between us. You know, at some points we were laughing and at some points we were pretty serious. And at one point he started telling a story where I asked him about his biggest bomb that he's ever had. And he started telling the story and I thought he was joking and I'm kind of laughing. And then I realized he was telling a really vulnerable story and it just went to a place that I wasn't expecting. And his cameraman who's been traveling the world with him on this world tour said he was over like in the other room and he was on his laptop and he just stopped. And he was like, and he was French as well. And he goes, you got to realize this is the biggest comedian in France. And he just told that story. He's like, I just stopped because his fans are going to be amazed to hear this story of how vulnerable he was. And I was like, you wouldn't get to that if you weren't open to going down some paths that sometimes have a payoff and sometimes don't. So yeah. I like that yeah. personally. And it sounds like some people that listen like it also, you know, I'm sure some people hate it. I had a girl on the show. I ended up editing it out. She told me not to. She gave me carte blanche to let it go, but I didn't. And uh, she told me that she'd been trafficked. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she's someone, she's CEO of a company, very well to do. It hit me with like a left hook. I wasn't ready for that. I've known her for 20 years. So it's kind of like a deer in headlights, which doesn't usually happen. So I don't know if you've had any of those. Kinds I had of that with, with where- one friend who I don't want to say what he does because then it gives away who he is. And it's the whole point. He had something that he said and he had a great time with it. And he later realized, oh, if I say that my job, which is a kind of a big brand in the world, it won't look good with that. Can you edit it? So we edited that out. And then I had another friend who we did like an hour and a half interview. And it was really before we started, he said, I'm in a really dark, raw place. I'm tearing everything down right now. And it's going to be good. And I was like, all right, you sure you want to do it now? We did it. He was. And it was, I thought, pretty amazing. We had a great conversation afterward. And that Monday he called, that was like on a Friday. And that Monday he's like, hey, I don't know if I I'm ready to have you release that. Maybe we'll do another one. And so I never released it. That's just sitting somewhere. Have you had any that you just aren't going to do, that you aren't going to release? I have one that I don't know that I'll release it, but now because of some new software that I didn't realize existed before, there's this way to seamlessly edit. I kind of like had this thing. And then again, I don't want to say who it was, but it was someone I knew and he's an older gentleman and he's just an incredible character and he's got great stories. And I like meandering but it really at certain points meandered so far that i just wonder and it was the pace went slow that what i would love to do is take excerpts of him and do like quotes and then talk about them and quotes and talk because i don't want to lose it because he has so much wisdom and he had some really great stories but i don't know that anybody's gonna that might turn into its own little thing yeah you know i mean that was the thing i want to do with the jimmy jam was there were so many sections that were so poignant and great advice 
that I thought I'll release this now and then maybe in the spring or next year, I'll take those chunks and release just like where he talks for a minute and then I kind of riff on that yeah. topic a little bit. You can do whatever you want, really. Oh, that's, that's the beauty. This is a new industry. It's pioneering. Yeah. Any questions? Do you have any standard questions? Something that you definitely want to make sure your guests, certain information that you definitely want to ascertain before they're leaving the hot seat? I do have this little like pop quiz at the end, but that's like, I mean, I could tell you the pop quiz is I say the word no actually means what? Next opportunity. Oh, boom, you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and that's what people will do. They'll all have different answers of what the word no means to them. And then I'll ask them if you, now oh, there's another one in the middle and I'm forgetting it right now. I can't remember the Isn't middle that the one. Isn't the worst? You get and put then, on yeah, the spot. The yeah, and, then the and then there's the last one, which is if you could give your younger self advice, at what age would you intervene? And what would the advice be? Oh, that's a good one. You probably get some good answers. Yeah, people give some cool answers. And a lot of times I'll get to those and like they already feel like they've been answered. And really I try to get to like, it's not like a one particular question, but it's always like, how did you reframe something or what is your superpower? Like everybody kind of has something that's really, that's theirs. I find that most people have like this one thing that really sets them apart from everybody else. And that's kind of cool. I call it like their superpower. Yeah, you know? that's a good but, one. Yeah. And then just the end of what happens is I have those written out, but I don't really use them exactly as they are. You know, I like to ask like with certain things, it's like, was that learned behavior or was it just DNA or was it a combo? And if so, who was it that like brought it out of you the most or can it be coached? But it's not really that, you know, Not cut scripted. and dried. It's, yeah. it's just, but that's the gist of it is I'm just trying to just see what makes these people tick and what's worked for them and what's not worked for them and how they've bounced back from wherever they've been down because everybody's been down. And th that's basically what I want to do with it is like, if you're listening and you're feeling like crap and you feel like I was on top of the world, now what happened? You have this to just kind of lift you up and make you feel less alone and help you pull the shades up get out, put one foot in front of the other and keep going. That's powerful. So in the spirit of questions, yeah. I, even though we just freestyle, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have so many of these like random questions. Okay. I know we're running <laughs> low on time. Just put your finger anywhere on here. Just give it just, just, just like go yeah, like just this. Grab uh, anything. Bah. All right. Cool. What's that? What All right, for a second. Let me grab that. Uh Oh, that's a lot of questions. It is a lot, but we're only going to, you know, put your finger here. Let's see. I'm nervous. <laughs> if you didn't choose the route you were on, where would you be right now? Would you have gone that Wall Street BC route? Or would you be a lawyer, you and your dad shackled, or, or would your mother have bequeathed the teaching helm to you? That's a great question. And I guess that goes back to your you question. You know, I don't, uh, it's funny, when you were saying the Wall Street thing earlier, I used to say that. It used to be like, man, I played lacrosse at BC. I know so many guys that went down there and did well, and I did well in school and all that stuff, and I could have done well. And then I go, here's my answer on that. I think you're kind of a jackass if you say, like, I would have done well in that, because you didn't. <laughs> and it's the doing that makes you do well or not do well. Sure, maybe I could have been okay, but I don't really know. That's basically talking smack. Like the reason I didn't do it, I think, is because on some level, I couldn't do it. Now, I don't mean like I didn't have the brain power to do it or the skill set, but on some level, there must have been something in me that was like, I cannot do that. It will not sit well with me. I won't be able to like 
You were too focused. You had, or not too focused, justifiably so. I mean, you were focused on what you were put on this planet to do. I mean, I know I get the question and I'm not trying to be like tricky with the answer. I'm just saying like, I guess something that I'm doing now, even with the podcast is that there's something entrepreneurial, but then again, I think actors are entrepreneurs. You know, that's what what we are. Constantly. That's actually is what I'm doing. I don't know. A teacher, maybe a coach. Mm -hmm. Well, you're kind of doing all that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing that. Yeah. You're doing it. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny. I always thought lawyer until I got older and I was like, huh, <laughs> maybe I'll just play a lawyer on TV. Because <laughs> you know what it was? I liked the way my dad talked about the law. Your dad's legendary. He's, he, well, he <laughs> talked about the law like a law professor or like, a, mm-hmm. like he made it really my approach to acting. And I've said this before on interviews, so I feel like I'm like giving some canned speech, but it really is true. Like the way he looked at the law is how I look at I defend my character. Mm. But the only difference is I don't have to do it within the prism of the law. I get to do it in using all of my faculties. I get to use myself physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. My job as an actor is to get under the skin of this character, no matter who that character is, and defend their point of view to the world. Have you lost yourself in any characters yet? Has that happened to you? Well, so fun. What a perfect segue to Huge in France. So I play a guy on this upcoming Netflix comedy. T- I, tell I us about that. Can you say anything? Or yeah, no? I mean, or... they, they're like, oh, don't, it's not coming out till April, so don't, but yeah, I don't know when this is coming out. We could talk about it. A, I mean, I'll just give you the gist of it without giving anything away. I play a character. I love him so much. His name is Jason Allen Ross. He's like a D-level actor. He's not really done much. But he's like, he calls himself a method actor. Uh-huh. And so he's always losing himself. He's saying that he's lost in the role. It's a comedy, I'm assuming. It's a comedy. Yeah, okay. It's, it's a comedy. And we howled on this set because it's it really is great material, I think. The, my, so do you know, sorry to interrupt, but so you know when you're filming something that's funny. You, you know what's funny? I've done comedy on stage. I've done comedy in, you know, artist, you know right? Hot Pursuit was a comedy, yeah. but it wasn't like out and out the way this was, was a little different. I did a role on Rosoli and Isles that was like I was in a comedy, even the rest of the show was a drama. But this was, I don't have a crystal ball, so I have no idea what's going to happen with this thing. You just don't know. I mean, maybe it gets buried and nobody ever sees it. My vibe on the set was that it was something special was happening and it was really funny. I thought everybody else was really funny. I felt really happy with my role. I realized by the end, you asked, have you ever lost yourself in a role? My guy is always saying like, like he's he's telling people he lost himself and they're like, you're full of crap. Why are you going to bruise yourself? Are you, what are you talking about? So he kind of sends that up. But yeah, we'll see how it ends up being received. I hope... It'd be great to hear that it connects with an audience the way I think it could. That's great. And then any TV shows, what do you have in the mix? What are things people should be paying attention? What should uh, they? Well, if anybody has missed the second season of Goliath I on love Amazon that show. with God, Billy Bob Thornton. So good. Yeah. I mean, that was such a another one of those great jobs. I actually interviewed our showrunner, Lawrence Trilling, on my podcast, and he's amazing. And Mark Duplass, who plays Tom Wyatt, and oh. he's also a writer, director, producer. Wait, Duplass, actor. is he the, the Duplass s- brothers? Yeah, is he know. Philadelphia or Sonny in Philadelphia? No, that's another group of guys. Okay, gotcha. Mark right. and his brother Jay, his brother Jay is on Transparent, but Mark and Jay are like the Duplass brothers. They're very big in the independent film world, and he was great. I mean, you're talking about an entrepreneur. I mean, he's an actor, but he's like, they've built their own universe within Hollywood and they built it outside of the system. He was great to talk to. But yeah, Goliath was great. That's out there as of last 
summer, and then this one's coming out in April, and then Wind River, which is still getting a lot of Wind River was good. Yeah, I didn't even was, know you were in that. That was yeah, so funny. Yeah. We're Dakar and I were watching. We were like, that looks. I'm like, yeah. And then mad. I popped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just in the intense did you promote? Part. Did you tell anyone about I that? Did. Or I you did. I, okay. I think yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I went to Sundance for that, and that was fun. And that was just like Jeremy Renner was. I thought gave an amazing performance, and Elizabeth Olsen, and that director Taylor Sheridan. He was an actor mm-hmm. turned writer, and now that, that was his directorial debut. But he wrote Sicario. Like he's just on fire as of right now. So that was a really cool project to be a part of. So you work with all of these people. I mean, you've just thrown out just in our hour conversation here, you've just thrown out a plethora of different names. Do you stay in touch with these people? Are these people that are in your phone? Are they just people that you work with? And then that's it. See you later. Or or what do you do? Where will you see those relationships later in life? Whether it's you hooking them up with roles, them bringing roles to your attention. How does that work? Some of them I'm still in touch with. Some of them I'm not. But if I would see them, they're always good relationships. All of my work relationships, I feel like, have been favorable where they've, like I said, a lot of my jobs come from recurring things where I've worked with someone and then they'll hire me again for something else. I have like my crew of guys that I came up with in New York and and that crew has kind of expanded to some other people. But it's funny, you talk about like Jeremy Renner. I had not seen him in years when we did Wind River, but when I first came to LA, he's friends with Sam Rockwell and Sam is a friend of mine through my buddy Chris Messina. And it's like this little, it's a smaller world than you realize. So I had hung out with him a bunch back then and then hadn't seen him for a while and and then reconnected with him on that. But I'm not going and having coffee with Jeremy tomorrow. Is it normal in the industry? I had a gentleman that was on here before this in the movies and he was telling me that he's really disenchanted with how the community doesn't really look out for each other like it should. And then he was telling me the story of United Artists, how they came to be because they were so against they were uh, yeah. backstabbing and all that. Yeah, yeah. so they guess I forgot who it was that was starting. Mean, well, I feel very fortunate to have had the friends that I have that really, there's a core group, really look out for each other. I always talk on my podcast, one of my best friends, Chris Messina. He's just, he's had a great career and he's just like, he selflessly has really just goes out of his way to help not only me, but a bunch of other people. And he's kind of shared his success in such a way that's like so great. And people love working with him. Actually, I think I could be better with that, with forging those relationships. I think I have some weird hang up with when I think I could get something, when it's obvious I would be the beneficiary of something, I think I shy away from those. And it's probably something that I shouldn't do. Like Hmm. Jeremy Renner, he's in a position that I think he's in a way better position than I am. And so it feels in some way, I feel like he likes me, I like him, but I haven't sought it out. Hmm. I wonder business-wise if that's not as smart as it would be or not as strategic i don't know it's yeah, a good question yeah we gotta get jeremy on here then we'll have to ask him let me put him in <laughs> let me grill him in the hot He'll be seat. like matt who <laughs> <laughs> oh man well hey i know that you've got to get rolling what do we not cover what do people need to hear what do they need to oh it looks like the music is cutting oh, us look, out too yeah timing, timing is uh, playing mu- my exit music <laughs> yeah. they're like get him off the oh, mic man yeah, we'll we'll got have, a party to throw we'll have to edit better music though you know <laughs> this is incredible yeah No, I think we've covered everything. I'm writing a script right now, a feature film to give myself an opportunity to play a character I'm really excited about. And uh, Let's talk about that then for a second. For those who are listening, who's a good contact for you right now for your script? How do we make that happen? How do we get that over the goal line? 
What's the process? Because well, I want to hear I mean, some the process of the names in here. this would be if there's, <laughs> you want me to ask? Yeah. I guess there would be not yet because I wouldn't do this to someone until the script was ready. But when the script is ready, if someone has money that they would want to put in, I'm doing it for low budget. What, what kind of budget? I'm talking a million dollars, like probably under a million. Okay, it's somewhere between five hundred and a million. And um, how many camera? I forgot. I know there's certain like there's a three camera shot. Is it a well, movie? Well, no, it but you're one? talking about like it's yeah. not like multi cam. Yeah, you know, it would that. I mean, you could have two cameras to shoot stuff opposite, but one camera for the most part, you'd have a steady cam for some of the shots. It's a drama. It's a drama D, I guess you would say. It's okay. along the lines of like the movies that I've kind of drawn inspiration from. Visually, actually, I just got an email from the the DP that I've worked with before, who I want DP her, uh, director of photography, okay. uh, cinematographer. I want her to shoot it. I really had a great experience with her, and I told her to watch A Star Is Born, not for the film itself, but for the look of it, a kind of a grittiness. There's a movie called Somewhere that Sofia Coppola directed that's got like a this certain kind of this grittiness or You Can Count On Me with Mark Ruffalo and Laura yeah. Linney that uh, Kenny Lonergan made. It's about a guy who is a motivational speaker who's really good from the stage, great message, charismatic, but... He needs to take his own advice. His, uh, his life is uh, a mess. It's not quite as extreme as like Tom Cruise and Magnolia. I don't know that if you ever, such you ever awesome, seen one of Frank T.J. Mackey. Wow. That's like really over the top, but it's that kind of dichotomy. And he gets a call that his daughter was in an accident and he was estranged from her. And he goes back to the town and ends up taking his grandson who actually is more the relationship is more like father son because of the ages mm -hmm. he had his daughter when he was young and she had this kid he has like no relationship with him and he takes him on the road with him for a little bit and kind of his demons get exposed you know? so we need to get you money we need to get you what else were, are you money gonna need to resources get this? Yep. talent i think what so people comes that first, are interested before i ever yeah. even it's really kind of you to say that and to put that out there to people my feeling is, you know, I've had access to a lot of people with money for a long time and I've never, I don't feel right about asking until I have a script that's, when people are reading the script and they're going like, I want to be a part of this, then I'll know. It's kind of like what I said about the podcast. When people are giving the, that feedback and you know it's striking a chord, then you know, like, I don't want to ask someone for a favor. I want someone to be like, I'm getting on Del Negro's train because that dude is going somewhere and I just want a piece of it. Mm. And the movie business, the independent film business is notoriously not great. Yeah. So it's got to be someone who's got, really it's, you're going to want someone who's got expendable cash that is going, I want to support the arts. I want to support that guy. I know that guy's work. I listened to that guy. I listened to his podcast. I know what that guy's character. I know who he is. I know what he's going to do. I'm going to bet on that guy. And, you well, know, this is going to be a great venue to do these kinds, to get that kind of message out. I'll give you an example. I just posted something. I had a question. I'm looking into a course. And I put this and I put my question on LinkedIn and I tagged people that I'm connected to. And it expedited the outcome of what I needed because I got it. First of all, a couple of the uh, platforms that I was actually I'd planned on looking into. I'm not anymore. Let's put it that way. I'm not at all. And those are the ones that I targeted. So now I have a whole new set and I got the contacts of people within these companies. And I even have discount codes. 
So I went from the amount of time that I saved and now I'm going to have a much better product that's, that's going to help me. So I can't impress enough upon the power of the crowd, the power of the network. And yeah. I really hope that people that are listening to this reach out to Matt, ask for, I don't know what, how the process is, but see how you can get involved. Because even if you don't have money, you know somebody that has money. Or you know someone who knows somebody that has money, that wants to be tied to something and that is interested. It's all about, I don't accept that we don't know things. That's just being lazy. So I'm challenging the audience to check it out, reach out to Matt, learn more, and see what we can do. I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, Matt, man, you're going to get a producing credit by the end of this interview. Are you kidding me? Keep going. Listen to him. What he said. What he said. I mean, oh, no, that was amazing. Yeah. That's what I had a friend recently who's a successful entrepreneur, and he's like, how much do you ask for things? And I said, eh, I don't like it. He's like, you got to ask. And he called it the Ben Franklin effect. He said, actually, when you ask a favor of someone, they think more favorably upon you. And I said, I usually don't want to. It's interesting. I, I really appreciate you doing that. So The irony is that I've got a hard time doing it myself. And it's something that I teach people to not do. Because if you can't ask for something, because how do I, I'm not going to articulate this well, but you'll get the genesis of what I'm saying. Yeah. So I bet that if I asked you for something, you'd do it. Right? You, yeah. you, you'd do it. It's yeah. the kind of guy you are. Yeah. So why wouldn't you feel okay about asking me? I Listen, trust me. I'm with you. I'm not good at the ask. I'm working on it. Yeah. I'll be asking you guys for stuff at some point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because your intent is real. Your intent is honest. So if your intent yeah. is positive and it's not like you're looking yeah. to no, just... No, I do feel like that. I mean, look, this is actually, it was Messina who has said to me, he's been on me like a dog with a bone. He said, because I've helped other people out. I helped him out. I was behind the scenes on his movie called Alex of Venice the entire time. I helped him with crafting the story. Another independent film that I did, I ended up getting a producer credit on it called Limerence. Uh, another friend of mine, Blake Robbins, I helped him. And he goes, you're helping all these people. It's time for you to do your thing. He knows my directing talent. So he's like, you need to be doing it. And you need to give yourself that shot. You need to give yourself that role. And the role that I've created for myself is, I think, a good one. It's one that I should be cast in, that I'm well cast in. So Yes. It's a beautiful thing. So I know you have to go, but I just got the batteries about to, oh, to die. Oh, let's do it. Let's close it and <laughs> save so, it, dude. Yeah, save it. Definitely Thank you, out. everybody, for yeah. listening. <laughs> Thank you, Maddie. Thanks for having you me. You are awesome, my friend. We are, are definitely going to be a part two. Yeah. 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 All right. Cheers. Thanks, man. <laughs> thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise. <laughs>